This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Cha! Hey there, this is Greg Smallwood, artist of Marvel's Moon Knight and Dark Horse's Dream Thief. And you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's my pleasure to welcome you to episode 178 of THN, where we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, September 10th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not confronting myself on Twitter and agreeing that maybe there shouldn't be only one, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. I seriously met Matt Baum on Twitter. He's a listener to the show, and he's a nerd. Is that crazy or what? That's pretty crazy. I know. <laughs> and I'm Joe Patrick. I Twitter under the handle at JoePatrick116. And when I'm not secretly hoping that Earth 2 Map Bomb is a little bit more agreeable and less angry than Earth 616 Map Bomb, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. He seems like a genuinely nice guy. In this week's episode, unlike me, in this week's episode, you'll hear our brutally truthful reviews of Teen Dog, number one, and The Annihilator, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics, Faster Than Scotland Can Discover It's Not Alone on the Island, during the ludicrous speed round, and then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're beefing up our website security with some eldritch magic, and talking about next week's comics. And finally... It's time to play Ask a Nerd, and this time, one listener's question gets personal. But before we get ready for Operation Desert Storm Part 2, or is it 3? I've lost track. Let's all dump our Apple stocks and put everything into our new online NFL relationship counseling startup, and then we'll talk about this week's big news. It's a lot of, lot of big ideas in that I'll sentence. I'll tell you what, we're available 24-7 for chat. <laughs> Small Press Publishing is an important part of the comics industry. These are the comics that you won't find in previews every month, but are spread all over the artist's alley of every convention and, hopefully, in a special section at your local comic shop. But with so many creators self-publishing comics and the lack of attention given to them by popular comics news sites, it can sometimes be hard to get your hands on small press comics at all, let alone ones that you find interesting enough to support with your hard-earned cash. I'm still trying to finish my run of Black Bastard. Oh, boy. <laughs> Retrofit Comics publisher Jared Smith, having recognized this problem, has launched Small Press Previews, a website that brings together over 40 small press publishers with information about what they're releasing each month, previews, and links for purchasing. Publishers like Bergen Street Press, where they publish Copra from Michelle Fifa. You know, Time this, out. This, what was that name you just said? Michelle FIFA. It's not Michael Fife. It's not Michael Fife. <laughs> okay. We've never said Michelle FIFA before on the show. Well, I... We were calling him like Mike Fife for a long time there. I got clarification. <laughs> okay. Publishers like Bergen Street Press, 2D Cloud, Koyama Press, Piao Studio, which is awesome. <laughs> I think it's how you have to say that. Oily Press, Sacred Prism, Space Face Books, Uncivilized Books, Secret Acres, Study Group Comics, and others are currently featured on the site, but Smith hopes to add many more. Quote, the idea for small press previews came from realizing how many great small press comics are being published today. More and more publishers are releasing comics, but many of them are small print runs. And since most are one-off projects, it's very difficult to keep track of all of them and when they are released. 
Plus, with only a few distributors carrying smaller publishers, it's hard to find out where to order these comics. So besides helping publishers and fans, this is a big help for me and other stores as retailers. He is involved with Big Planet Comics in Maryland. He being me. He being Jared Smith. Okay. I don't know. I just said it was me. It was the quote. I thought it'd be fun to say he being me. Right. He is me. He, Wait a minute. Is this me? He is me. <laughs> Hold on. I'm confused. <laughs> you can find the site at smallpresspublishers.tumblr.com. Matt, I know that there have always been ways to find out about small press comics, but unless you were going to cons all over the country, readers really had to work hard to find this kind of material. I think this is a great idea, and it's way overdue. Here's what I like about it. Huge middle finger to previews. Eat it. We well, previews doesn't even carry books that are under a saying. certain threshold. That's so. what I'm saying. Like Because you, you have to make them X amount of money for them to even put you in their phone book. This is a great idea. And I yeah. hope it works. I hope it kicks ass. I love that it's all in one place because yeah, what do you do to get on the internet and search small press comics? Sure, but I and mean just call your shot, you right? Know? And I know I know that there are ways. It, you know, uh, Jason Sachs and Keith Silva and these guys they they are a lot more aware of the small press world than maybe we are. Sure, and I've th always thought that that was kind of something we needed to work on. I love the fact that this is now a resource that we can use and that fans that maybe can't go to the small press expo. Right. Well, this makes it easier and yeah, that's what's important. It absolutely. Just makes it easier. More attention for these guys is absolutely worthwhile. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to start checking it out on a regular basis. And that's the thing. The small press, that's where your favorite comic writers and artists come from. They all start somewhere. Totally. If the 800 comic based shows coming to TV this fall weren't enough for you, it seems DC has two more to add to the list. Arrow producer Greg Berlanti has confirmed that a Supergirl TV series is currently in development and being shopped around the networks, but don't get too excited. According to Deadline, this will be a completely new interpretation of the character, one that probably won't feature Superman in any way and may not even be called Supergirl at all. Meanwhile, DC and Warner Brothers have pitched a Titan show that's about to receive a pilot order from TNT, the show would feature a Dick Grayson transitioning into Nightwing from his role as Batman sidekick Robin and leading his own team of heroes, including Starfire, Raven, and more. The series, if picked up, would be helmed by Mark Hames and Batman and Robin screenwriter <laughs> Akiva Goldsman. So, to recap, we've got a Supergirl show that's barely Supergirl and a Titan show that has a potential to be one of the more faithful television adaptations to date, Written by the guy who gave fans the worst Batman film ever. Now hold on, you're it, telling me it's not. I'm I'm saying that he's not the one that gave it to us. Yeah, he wrote it. <laughs> okay. Screenplays are written all the I time. Get I get it. I get it. You can't argue that it wasn't the worst ever. No, I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't dare. <laughs> Along with half a dozen other shows spread across different networks, and everything they're doing looks like it takes place in completely separate universes. Does DC not know they own all this stuff? What is the deal? <laughs> I don't know. I I find it very puzzling. Like I I totally would watch a Titans show. It I would too. But like here's the thing. The rest of America might not get it. If there's just like, so wait a minute. This is Batman's sidekick, but Batman's not here and he hangs out with an alien and a cyborg. Like 
it might not translate at all. Sure. Even to you and I, we're well, like, and this I, is bizarre. Right. And I get like they can't they can't necessarily put Batman in it. Yeah. That doesn't mean you can't say the word Batman or like everyone knows who Robin is. Right. The fact that Batman might not be in it is fine. The Supergirl thing, let's address them one at a time. The Supergirl thing. Dumb. If you're going to make a Supergirl show, make it f- Supergirl, yeah, please. Yeah, what is the point? This hits me as if the DC executives looked at what's going on in Marvel, how Marvel's built this cohesive movie and television world that is succeeding, that is bringing in boatloads of cash. And they said, how could we do the complete opposite of that and make it not succeed? <laughs> you know? Well... <laughs> So I don't get it. It seems to me that they want to bring. Well, we don't know that they're not going to succeed. Well, I'm not. Uh, we don't know that. But I'm saying you own the WB network. You own it. It's yours. Right. Yeah. Do all the there. It seems to me that they are more interested in getting getting these things out into the public eye. I guess. And less interested in building a cohesive universe. I just feel like going for a Titan show as your first live action superhero show is really, really jumping. Uh, well, I guess it's not Arrow. Yeah. Smallville. But like not doing the it there with these other shows. <laughs> right? Like, what are you doing? That doesn't make any sense. The piecemeal thing with all of them in separate little worlds, it does not appeal to me as much as the idea of yeah. of a shared universe that builds on this where is, they build on each other. It's disappointing. I'm not going to like write it off as being dumb, but I just kind of I wish it were different. In other DC news, the publisher has announced the return of the fan favorite team of Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. But in an unlikely place. I feel like we could have just grouped this in with the last story. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, the duo will join the cast of Justice League 3000, beginning with issue 12 in December. Fans will remember that the Beetle Booster pairing was popularized by the JL 3000 writing team of Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis when the duo relaunched the Justice League in the 1980s. According to Giffen, quote, this is them. Basically, a cryogenic chamber is found on Tacron Galtos, it's a prison planet in the future. Got it. While they're excavating and inside are Beetle and Booster. It's Ted and Michael. It's really, really them. It's not clones. It's not a trick. It's not an imaginary story, end quote. But there is a twist. This version of Beetle and Booster, and thus the world in which Justice League 3000 is set, comes from the pre-New 52 DC universe. Or at least a universe that looks a whole lot like it. In this universe, Ted Cord was never killed by Maxwell Lord either, so it seems like the writers may be picking and choosing their own continuity. Giffen explained, quote, So what does that have to say about what universe Justice League 2000 is taking place in? Maybe a universe where, if you went back and looked at Superman in the 21st century, he might be wearing his underpants on the outside. Look, if you want to call it a certain universe, then think of it this way. If we did another Justice League series like I Can't Believe It's Not the Justice League or formerly known as the Justice League, this is the third one. You asked it before, and I, I'm going to ask it again. I'm speechless. What <laughs> the hell? It's like, DC has heard your cries. We know that you want the old universe back. So here's a little part of it that's not actually from that universe, but kind of from it. Just shut up. <laughs> you know? Like, you're, you're not giving us anything, first of all. Second of all, this is like... So issue 12 is officially the please, please, please buy Justice League 3000 issue because it's well, out, it's not well out, but it's out of the top 100 in sales and obviously hurting. But uh, this, come on, you guys. Seriously. I think this is DC letting Giffen and DiMatteis treat 
their versions of the characters in their own special way, similar to the way Jim Starlin has his way at Marvel. Maybe. It's also, they're letting them do it just in time for this book to probably get canceled in the next six issues. Maybe. So, whatever. I, look, I think it's super fun. I think it's fun, but it's also a tease, you know, and like... It's not a tease. Let the char- let these character uh, creators do what they want, and I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it, too, but like... Like, listen, do you really want Ted Cord to show up in the New 52 for real? Because I guarantee you he won't be what you want. Uh, no, he won't be. But I want the real Ted Cord to come back and be like, all of this is wrong. Sure. <laughs> so follow me back to the real world. I haven't been reading the book, but I'm definitely going to catch up and check it out because this speaks to me as a fan of that Justice League series and of these creators. But I want to talk about real quick this tendency I've kind of noticed at DC. You mentioned teasing. Right. Uh, for DC to not rub our faces in it, but to keep showing us elements from the reboot, from right. before the reboot. Right. The elements that they said they were done with, they were never talking about again. It's sure. Gone. Like, not, not in story necessarily. Right. But like, so Darwin Cook is doing a series of uh, alternate covers for mm-hmm. the month of December for all the books. And 95% of them are pre-New 52. Like, it's exactly what you want to read if you are reading that book. Right. It's Superman and Batman being buddies. Uh, you know, it's it's classic-looking, iconic-looking stuff, right? Right. And even the ones, even the ones that have New 52 designs that he's incorporating, like, he's doing an alternate cover for Grayson, so obviously it's the current status quo version of the character yeah they look amazing they look so much better than than a lot of the things that we're actually getting in a lot of the cases so there's that and those are just variants i know they don't really mean anything but if they're gonna if the new 52 and the branding is so important why do it yeah why do it yeah i Um, totally agree there's a there's a and that's what i'm saying here i'm not saying i don't want those characters well there's more there's more that's what i'm saying Uh, so there's this thing coming up i think it's officially called blood moon that's what they're kind of calling it i don't know the full title uh on bleeding cool you may have read about it Uh, he calls it the dc band-aid and it is this event that is going to take place in the two months that dc moves from new york to burbank okay uh and so they've got all these creators coming in to do this event and and work on these books while the main editorial and creative staff are moving across the country. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And from what I understand, it's this, it's sort of like, I don't know if you remember countdown arena, which was a, a mini series that was basically Elseworlds mortal Kombat. Sure. And so it was all these different, ver- it was ba- Gotham by gaslight, Batman versus a uh, vampire Batman. And you know, all these different versions of these characters right. fighting, but fans voted on it. It was terrible. It counts on arena. It's bad, but it's something like that with alternate versions of the characters meeting and fighting or teaming up or whatever. We don't have all the details. It hasn't been solicited in the teaser that has popped up in the comics uh, a few months ago. There's this like MC Escher. You can find it online. It's like this MC Escher style drawing with all these characters in it. Okay. And a lot of them are the new 52 characters. It's Batman beyond and, and the current Apollo and a bunch of other things, uh, but I swear to God, in the left of in one of the upper corners is Tim Drake as Robin, like in his original '90s outfit. It is Tim Drake's costume. Tease, tease, tease. What is it? What are they doing? I, I well, maybe this is like when 
they had like back in the day when like the Christian church was moving into Northern England and Europe and they were building cathedrals and like the architects would sneak in like, you know, little pagan symbols, <laughs> so, you know, like, like, yeah, sure. I mean, we're into it, but, uh, secretly, you know. yeah. I guess I, my question is, and I know we, we talk about it, uh, the new 52 constantly and, and how it has not resonated with us. We're old farts. But do you think, and I do really believe that DC has every intention of trying to make it stick as best they can, whether that means just like improving things subtly, you know, like lighthearted Batgirl and, right. you know, fun new books. Right. But do you think that DC is trying to like create a backdoor if they ever need one? I don't know. I honestly, I, I can't predict what goes on there anymore. I don't know. We just had two news stories of you and I both going, what the f***? <laughs> I mean, yeah. like I don't know. Well, it doesn't the, make sense. The, I the the Tim Drake teaser, I'm willing I'm willing to write that off as the artist just being like, Yeah, Robin, no problem. Right. Right? But Booster Gold and, but, and, and like Blue, it is Beatles, absolutely Blue by Beatles. the admission of the creators, yeah. not the new fifty two. Other than the fact that it's they're puzzling being shunted off to a book that not that many people are reading anyway. Well, I mean, where they come back to me is kind of beside the point. Just the fact that they're coming back at all yeah. is such a puzzler to me. And I think it speaks to maybe, I do really think it speaks to DC realizing that people want to see these elements come back, but maybe they're testing it out. I don't know. Again, I mean, we're, I think we're the whole thing in, here. I think they're throwing stuff against the wall to see what works desperately at this point. I, I think the whole thing really is bizarre. I, I kind of dread whenever there's a DC story because I know, I know the reaction. The I reaction, know. But... It's it's something that needs to be talked about, I and get, I want to be excited about this Blue Beetle thing, but I find it so bizarre. I, I'm with you. I love those characters. I want to be excited about it, too, but not in Justice League 3000. Well, it's the book that those guys are working on. Great. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we'd miss, hit us up on the THN forums where Joe and I are spitballing some new working titles for other DC properties that have nothing to do with their comic counterparts coming to TV like Jade Flashlight, Water Dude, and The Kill Yourself Crew. That's Suicide Squad. You got it. I get it. <laughs> Crew is spelled with a K because it's extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for the kids. Every Sunday, my favorite TV pitch man, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joe, what are we asking the listeners this week? You know what? I tried desperately to come up with something linked to Beetle and Booster coming back. Like what? What? What non-rebooted DC property would you like to see? Yeah, we already did Bromance too, didn't we? Yeah, I just but I couldn't come up with Comic anything buddies. that didn't make me that didn't depress me. <laughs> <laughs> so I dug into the forums and found a question from our very own Jason Sexier, who asks. What superhero would you most like to have a drink with? That sounds great. Just for fun. It. I love it. Who do you want to be your super buddy? Miss Marvel. I'd love to sit down and have an alcoholic beverage with a 10-year-old. <laughs> She's in high school. Whatever. <laughs> you have until midnight this coming Thursday, September 18th. To get us your answer, you can call and leave a message using Skype. The Skype handle is two-headed nerd, all one word. Or call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Please remember, keep your calls under three minutes. We'll cut you off, and so will Google. 
You can also send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Again, keep it short. If you need more time, feel free to write your full answer over at the question of the week section of the THN web forums. As a matter of fact, I like beer. My wife often frowns when we're out on the It's review time on THN where Matt and I squeeze into the spandex and save our listening audience from reading bad comics. Matt, what did you review this week? This week, I read The Annihilator, number one from Legendary Comics, written by Grant Morrison with art by Fraser Irving. This was 40 pages for the low, low price of $3.99. It seems Grant Morrison was kind enough to take a break from his multiversity schedule to write this equally bizarre but much easier to follow story for Legendary. Here we meet washed up Hollywood screenwriter Ray Space, who had a couple of hit films a few years back, but since then has been spending his time on money and drugs and hookers and parties. When we meet Ray, he's desperate and obsessed with the idea of his own self-destruction. So much so, he moves into a house that's known for driving its inhabitants insane and comes complete with a hole in the front yard that might lead to hell. In true Morrison fashion, he gives us a broken main character driven by the idea of writing the story of a broken fictional character, Max Nomax. Ray is writing a sci-fi epic about the story of Max, who is sent to live out the rest of his life in a space station at the edge of a supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. It is there that Max Nomax seeks to defeat death itself and bring back his lost love. You know, so lighthearted space comedy. Yeah, right. right. Fraser Irving's art is off-putting and amazing as usual here, and it gives Morrison's script the David Lynch feel that it desperately needs to be suitably meta and creepy. One of my favorite scenes in this was actual real world scene, like in a hallway where Ray is touring this apartment and Irving gently bends the floor, like the woodwork to guide you through the panel yeah, around a corner gorgeous on a flat panel. And it, it looks completely three dimensional. It's amazing. The guy is so good at what he does. Irving is listed as the illustrator on this comic, so I can only assume he's responsible for the completely psychedelic and washed-out colors that haunt even the most realistic panels of Ray's life here. Irving is just great, and not just because he can illustrate things that most people couldn't even begin to describe. My favorite page in this comic was a conversation between Ray and his agent in a restaurant that focused on the drinks in front of them and their hands. He has this amazing perspective that rivals some of my favorite film directors and with Morrison's story direction he's doing some career defining work here it's just beautiful look at and I'm not even talking about the crazy psychedelic space scenes there's a very meta aspect of the story that I'm not going to get into for the sake of not spoiling a great moment but this is truly off-putting and an amazing comic book with a story that examines the art of creating fiction and what it means to be a creator Ray lives in Hollywood, and Max lives next to a supermassive black hole. The two couldn't be more alike. Not to mention that this comic kind of read like a suicide letter from Grant Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot give this a bigger buy it. It was weird in a very David Lynch fashion. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, it was super strange, but not in an incomprehensible way, yeah, which is sometimes what you get with Grant Morrison. Especially like multiversity, I had to read it twice just oh, to no. like kind of <laughs> focus on everything that was happening, you know? Yeah, this uh, relatively straightforward, but no less 
crazy and right. and huge ideas. I loved all of it. I, I loved the characters, character designs. In fact, I will say that I was more interested in reading about Ray Space than yeah. I was reading about Max Nomax. Totally. Not that not that the space stuff wasn't cool. The storyline with the screenwriter was so compelling and yeah. so beautifully drawn that I was really taken by it. I give it a bite as well. I enjoyed it a great deal. Joe Patrick, let's get to the real mind-bending meta epic <laughs> that came out this week. Tell the kids about Teen Dog, number one. <laughs> All right, here it comes. Teen Dog, number one, was published by Boom Blocks, an imprint of Boom Studios, written and illustrated by Jake Lawrence. Teen Dog is a teen who is a dog. <laughs> he just so happens to be the coolest kid to ever kick flip through the doors of Tantamount High School, which is the best name for a high school ever. <laughs> Ultimate high school. He never takes off his shades. He loves pizza, wears a sleeveless jean jacket, and is best friends with a punk rock chick named Mariella. He's also the star of this series, which features characters from writer-artist Jake Lawrence's webcomic Time Cowboy. So here's the deal about Teen Dog number one. Really, it's the textbook definition of a skimmit. Upon reading it, it became clear to me that people are going to fall into two camps. You're either totally into what Teen Dog has to offer, or you'll think it's completely stupid. <laughs> I thought it was so stupid that I loved it. <laughs> yeah, but here's the here's the thing. I ended up like coming all the way around on I, this one. <laughs> I fully and truly loved it. Teen Dog, Teen Dog number one is a series of one or two page strips with no through line to connect them. Aside from some recurring characters like Teen Dog's rival Thug Pug, Sarah Sato, star quarterback. Thug Pug is my favorite bad guy in comics right yeah, now, right. I might add. And the long-suffering Mr. McGuffin. It somehow manages to be hilarious, despite the fact that it never delivers any actual punchlines. The strips deal with hard-hitting topics like, I wonder what's for lunch, and Teen Dog never cleans his locker. <laughs> but Lawrence never lingers in one spot for long, and I think that that's the book's greatest strength. If it had a more sustained narrative, it might have become kind of insufferable. But because it's a string of bizarre non-sequiturs, it really worked for me. Lawrence's art is delightful in an Adventure Time, Steven Universe kind of way, uh, and the character designs are really fun. It fits right in with the other Boom Blocks books like Lumberjanes and The Midas Flesh. The concept is executed with such sincerity and self-awareness that I couldn't help but love it. Teen Dog is all premise and no plot, and that's okay. But I can totally understand why readers wouldn't want to give it the time of day. My head wants to give it a skim it, but my heart is screaming by it. Man, I'm by it all the way. Yeah, man. It's I a buy it from me. Joe Patrick called me last night and we talked about this a little bit. And he's like, I, what did you think? And I just raved about it. I was like, I fucking loved it, man. It was stupid and ridiculous and fun. And there's just nothing like this on the stands right now. There really isn't. It just, it is what it is. And it works very well <laughs> for doing this ridiculous job of telling us a story about a cool dog in high school. <laughs> it was just feel good fun. And I totally loved it. And I want to support this book. I'm going to buy this whole series. Buy it. 
I yeah. loved it. I I did too. God, and Thug Pug, man. Yeah, Thug Pug is great. He's like a pug in like a cutoff jean jacket with spikes on it. <laughs> like, like and he's mean, but not too mean. Right. And that's <laughs> you know? the thing is that everyone in the book is so good natured. Yeah. Even the even the ones that are kind of mean are still yeah. good natured. Like Thug Pug starting trying to start with Teen Dog by spray painting on a wall. Like Teen Dog isn't really that cool at all. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I don't know. It's it's got a it's got a real self awareness to it that I think totally. is what is what makes it work because if it was if it was delivered completely sincerely oh yeah and not in that wink wink kind of way yeah yeah but it, it really works just trust me it, you got to check it out yeah at least find out if you hate it right really so that is a double buy it for the Annihilator and a double buy it for Teen Dog number one. Of course, we want to know what you suicidal cynics and skateboarding dog dudes thought of these comics. So post a video. And lady dudes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean you could be a skateboarding dog lady dude. I guess. So post a video of you pulling a hand plant while giving us your opinions over at the THN forums. You can find them by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. As you've probably heard, the population of Scotland has watched Braveheart one too many times and seems to think that claiming their autonomy from the UK is the order of the day. Well, Matt and I could see only one way to end this argument, so we grabbed our favorite Scottish and British superheroes for a good old-fashioned parliamentary debate on the subject. Fronted by Scottish team captain Rain Wolfsbane Sinclair and British team captain Captain Britain <laughs> for a fast-talking debate on the pros and cons of secession all while Matt and I ignore the whole thing and review 10 more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Constantine, Future's End, number one from DC. I haven't read Constantine since the first issue, but the cover grabbed me, and I was very pleasantly surprised to find art by Juan Ferreira, who I will talk about again later in the show. This is John Constantine versus Naboo, the Lord of Order that provides power for the helm of Dr. Fate. It's creepy and tense with wonderful art. Look, I know it isn't Hellblazer, and I agree that the character feels totally neutered in the DCU, but I'd be lying if I said that I didn't enjoy it. I'm giving it a buy it. Wild's End, number one from Boom. This is the second comic I've read in one month from writer Dan Abnett and artist INJ Colbard about aliens invading. Just like Dark Ages, this story also takes place in England, but it stars talking animals in a cute little British town where not much ever changes until aliens invade. Think the wind and the willows, but with aliens. I'm now convinced that these two are my go-to creative team for any alien invasion story in any setting. This was cute. It was well-written. It was beautifully drawn. And then cute little talking animals start getting disintegrated. I really liked it. I'm giving this a buy it. Miss Marvel, number eight from Marvel. My whirlwind catch-up of Marvel Comics continued this week with Ms. Marvel, and I can't believe that I let myself fall so far behind. I'm going on the record right now and saying that Ms. Marvel is the best book coming out from that publisher right now. It's a fact. This issue features Kamala and her new best pal, Lockjaw, investigating a series of sinister kidnappings perpetrated by a genetically engineered, super-intelligent chicken calling itself the Inventor. He wears like a walking man suit. It's weird. It's every bit as insane and wonderful as it sounds. Buy it. Seriously, Ms. Marvel, it's amazing. Earlier this week when you said we got hacked, I thought you were talking about the 13-year-old girl that was screaming on our Twitter. About it was me! Turns out it was Joe. <laughs> 
Batgirl, Future Zen, number one from DC. I stopped following the Future Zen storyline, so I have no idea where it ended up, nor do I care. It does not tie into the one-shots at all. I understand that, which is really important why we gave these all Future Zen. <laughs> That's <laughs> like just what titles. they were called. I will say, you don't have to know anything about Future Zen for this story. Writer Gail Simone finishes up her Batgirl story with a bang, showing readers a future Babs wearing a Bane mask, all ripped up, and calling herself Bete Noir, which is French for Night Beast or Black Beast or something like that. And leading a gang of Batgirls, including Stephanie Brown, Cassandra Kane, and a young girl related to Lucius Fox. I opened that book this week and I saw Cassandra Kane and I thought I was going to die. I know. It, speaking of rubbing your nose in it, right. had the entire run been based on the story we got here, I would have loved it. It was really cool. They showed Babs going to meet Bane and getting trained by him and stuff, and later on becoming a monster herself, but it has actually a very sweet ending. This was a perfect end to Simone's run, and I gotta wonder if this is the story she actually wanted to tell. It was really really thought out. Well, I mean, it's obviously uh, it's way in the future. I know, but, but it would have been an amazing character arc for Barbara. It would have been, so it been cool to read got. more about this, yeah. Giving this a huge buy-it. And once again, we get Cassandra Kane for exactly one issue before <laughs> a whole new status quo. We'll Thanks, see. guys. We'll see. Number one, one shot from Azern. Azern? Azern. Azern. AA. Artist Aaron Warner illustrates comic retailer Gary Scott Beatty's autobiographical tale of love and loss and the ups and downs of owning a comic shop. Obviously, the source material struck a chord for me, but Warner's great art and Beatty's storytelling really hooked me. This was fun and heartwarming and unexpected. It, I really did like it. It's a buy it. Okay. Dawn, Vampirella, number one from Dynamite. And don't say it's because the people demand it. The they already know what you think of it. Uh, you know why? I realized I have never read a Joseph Michael Lindsner comic. Yeah, I've yeah, never done. It's sure. my first one. And here, Joey Mikey Lindsner writes and draws this naughty girl team up, and it delivers everything you could want if you're into empowered female characters that dress like a high school freshman's wet dream. A demonic host has kidnapped the two, but wants them to fight for the right to have his demon baby. But they talk him into having a storytelling contest instead. Seriously, this is what happened. For what this is, it is fine. Lindsner is a talented artist, and his writing is fine. If Vampirella always sounds like an angry Star Jones, I don't really know. I don't read a what bunch of Vampirella. What does Star Jones sound There's like? There's like a scene where Vampirella goes, oh, hell no. <laughs> You're kidding. I'm, I'm dead serious, dude. <laughs> it was not for me, but I'm sure somebody loves it. I'm giving it a leave it. <laughs> okay, sure. Stumptown, volume three, number one from Oni. Greg Rucka's Portlandian Detective returns in an all-new ongoing series with incoming artist Justin Greenwood. Honestly, Rucka hits the ground running and doesn't waste any time with recaps, so this might not be the easiest point of entry for new readers. But what Rucka lacks in exposition, he makes up for in characterization. I'm thrilled to see Stumptown continue. Get the first two volumes. They're short minis. They're yeah. fun mysteries. This gets a buy it from me. My only problem with Stumptown, it does not come out regularly enough. Well, ongoing now. I so love it. There you go. Edge of Spider-Verse, number one from Marvel. Marvel using this series to reintroduce some of the lesser known spider peeps, like Spider-Man Noir of Earth 90214. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from the miniseries of the same name back in 2008. 
David Hine and Fabrice Sapolsky are on writing duties, and they both do a great job refreshing Spidey's 1930s New York. Somehow, Marvel got the amazing Richard Eisenhove on art, which kind of shocked me. He's an artist, dude. I know, you but... You need to get over it. I just thought he was on, like, much bigger stuff. He drew an this. arc of Savage Wolverine. That book is for nothing. It was, the, you know, it's a Wolverine, monthly Wolverine title. That's a big job. Regardless, he's on art here, and what results is a very solid look into this Spidey world. It is not a must-read, <laughs> but solid comic booking. I give it a very strong skimming. Fair. Prometheus, Fire and Stone, number one from Dark Horse. Speaking of Juan Ferreira, the artist teams up with colder writer Paul Tobin once again to bring us the first entry in Dark Horse's Aliens Predator Prometheus crossover. This directly follows the film, which I didn't completely hate like a lot of people. So I was into seeing someone flesh out the connection between these properties. Unfortunately, while Ferreira's art is great as usual, the first half of the issue is completely bogged down in exposition. There was a last page cliffhanger that I probably should have seen coming, but didn't. And I'm still interested in seeing where the story goes, but I have to give this first issue a skim it. Yeah, I have a very complex relationship with Prometheus. Like, that movie is a mess, but I still yeah. kind of had fun with it. I kind of did, too. I think it really overcomplicates the whole alien mythos. Like, Absolutely. It's a horror movie, dude. Absolutely. It's a haunted, it's a haunted house in space. And just the, and the end it. was just dumb. The end was just dumb. But I, I like to see him like, explicitly tying it all together. Sure. And I really love these creators, so I'm into checking it out, but this is kind of a skimmit. Rot and Ruin, number one from ID Dubs. Writer Jonathan Mayberry adapts another one of his novels for IDW, this time about a group of four kids off to find civilization after seeing a jumbo jet in the sky. But I'm getting ahead of myself. There was a zombie apocalypse. Everyone left lives in small walled-off cities where kids are trained to fight in the zombie pits. The story picks up somewhere after one of those books, maybe. There was a ton of exposition and a long synopsis of the books that's instantly reiterated in the first few pages of the comic. Solid art and not bad writing, but I think we're all a little zombied out at this point. Not enough to hook me here, but maybe fun for fans of the books. I'm giving it a skip. Arr! That is your ludicrous speed round in is the sound of Nameless Monster Guy getting his throat ripped out by Vampirella after he called her Chippy, as seen in this week's issue of Don Vampirella. That's where she, like, freaked out. She's like, Chippy? I don't think so! And it's like, oh, hell no! Is Chippy, like, real offensive? <laughs> like, I don't I, know what it means. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. If you haven't heard, TwoEditedNerd.com was the victim of hackers this week. It's true. Matthew Lillard and Angelina Jolie got all up in our business. <laughs> they couldn't do what? Hackers, dude. Oh, gotcha. Hack, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Hack the, hack the yeah. planet. He was like rollerblading around Omaha <laughs> with his like hacking glasses on. Yeah, it was like acid burn. Changing into like street lights and stuff. They had all like weird code names and shit. The good news is they didn't get in. But as a precaution, Joe and I have added mystical security to our site with the help of our IT mystic, Dr. Occult. He's moved our servers into the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Joe and I are currently helping chant a spell of binding and protection. Say, Joey, while we pour this salt pentagram, why don't we talk about what we're excited to read next week? Yeah, multitask. My pick for next week is Avengers number 35 from Marvel Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Jim Chung. Remember Jim Chung? And others. I do. I love Jim I Chung. Do. 
Here's the solicit, and I'm going to read it verbatim, <laughs> every word. Exercised issue. In eight months, time runs out. Rated T+. Yeah, this sounds like the description you get on a Chinese product. You know, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Much excite. <laughs> yeah. So amazed. Uh, so that is the solicit. That That's literally nothing. Uh, what is time runs out? Who f- knows? Yeah. All I do know is that I am totally hooked after catching up with Avengers and New Avengers. And this is the time jump into the future to the events post-Axis. It's got Unworthy Thor and I think even Superior Iron Man. This might be the first appearance of Superior Iron Man. Old Steve Rogers, uh, Captain America Falcon. This is a this book's going to be a big deal. Uh, it's going to be such a big deal. That you shouldn't read it for eight months. It's going to be such a big deal <laughs> that Marvel said, listen, retailers, I know that we try to sell you a lot of stuff but you are going to need more of this. Here's twice as much as you ordered for free. Whoa. For everybody. For everybody. Wow. Yeah. So wow. like if you ordered 50, you're getting 100. That is amazing. Because, yeah, this like you're going to, it's been underestimated and it's, you're going to need it. Wow. That's a very cool move. Yeah. And they've done that sometimes. They Marvel is good about sending like extra copies like, hey, we think that you misunderestimated. We think you underestimated this book. Here's like five more. Well, now it's like, here's 100% more. Huh. A major comic book company with goodwill behind it. Weird. Well, I don't know if it's goodwill or if it's... <laughs> anyway, I'm so stoked to find out what the hell's going on. It had to be my pick. I got bad news. You're going to be confused after you read it. Yeah, I know. That's all right. <laughs> Matt, what's it'll, your... It'll be a fun confused Yeah, though, you, you know, know, sometimes that's okay. What's your pick? I've got to go with Thor, God of Thunder, number 25, also from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, with art by Augustin Alessio, who I don't know. Here's your solicit, redefining the word, quote, epic. <laughs> they don't put it in all caps. Shouldn't that be epic? It's a God-sized 25th issue of Thor, God of Thunder, featuring an amazing artistic lineup. Young Thor versus Frost Giants, the untold origin of Malkith the Accursed, King Thor's granddaughters, uncovering a startling secret chapter from the history of the Thunder God, and Thor deals with the shocking fallout from original sin. Also, first appearance of Lady Thor. That's the shocking secret. You gotta do it. You don't miss out. The shocking secret's out. Pick this one up. I mean, come on. We're all gonna check it out. We'll either be screaming about it or celebrating it. I'm super stoked for that one, too. Lady Thor, man. Here we go. Yeah. Get ready. Game on. Gender swap. Bang! Did you just do a pelvic thrust when I you did. said that? Yeah, I swapped my gender. <laughs> <laughs> the THN trade of the week is Leaving Megalopolis hardcover from Dark Horse, written by Gail Simone, with art by Jim Calafiore. Remember Jim Calafiore? I do, and I, I love miss that him. guy. Here's the solicit. When the caped heroes of the world's safest city inexplicably turn into homicidal maniacs, no one is safe. The only rational thing to do is get the hell out of town. If only it were that easy. A small group of terrified survivors make a desperate run for the city limits, chased by unspeakable evil. The Kickstarter phenomenon is finally available through Dark Horse Comics. The team behind the critically acclaimed comic Secret Six, Jim Calafiore and Gail Simone, reteam in this relentless book. Sounds fun. Super fun. Um, Randy Andrews supported this book on Kickstarter. Oh, cool. He's been talking about it with me for months. Yeah, I saw this on Kickstarter as well. And I missed out on it, but it looked awesome. I'm really happy to see Dark Horse putting it out, and I'm definitely going to check it out. I think it's going to be awesome. Side story, 
I met Jimmy Jim Calafiore at a convention in Chicago years ago. And as I was talking to him, Joe Casey walked by behind him and went, Oh, Jimmy Calafiore, look at you, <laughs> you beautiful bastard. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> and Jim Calafiore goes, He does that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Now that it is safe to visit our website again, as long as you're not a demon or malevolent spirit anyway, let us know what you're reading next week over at the THN forums. It's time to play Ask a Nerd again, and that means it's time for Matt and I to dig deep into the digital THN mailbag and pull out a comic book query from one lucky listener. This week, our very own love slave Kevin Coffey writes, Oh, two-headed one. Thor's announced gender swap has me wondering about the Thunderer God's alter ego. I know at various points, Donald Blake was a dude who, quote, became or, quote, channeled Thor when he picked up the hammer or struck his cane on a rock or whatever. But I thought in current continuity, Thor was always Thor and Donald Blake was simply a name he used when he wanted to walk around the earth like a regular dude. Can you shed some light on that? Also... I'm cool with Thor being a woman. In fact, I think it'll make for some very interesting stories, but I have questions. What will happen to the current Thor? Is he still Thor? Just no longer the God of Thunder? Will he revert to Donald Blake? Will he simply change genders? Similarly, will he simply change genders like what happened to Loki a while back? What will happen to him while female Thor is being Thor? God, this is confusing. Dot, dot, dot. Let's start with the end. Okay. Because we need to address that first. Yes, and I think we did talk about it. Kevin's a little confused. Uh, we did mention it uh, once or twice not long ago. This is not a gender swap for Thor. This no. is a new person becoming Thor. Right. Right? So this is a female uh, a female character, either new or established. We don't know. I think they're hinting that it's established, but it's a mystery. She's been around. Yes. Uh, who is worthy of the power of Thor and picks up the hammer, becomes the new god of thunder. Right. So that's that. Uh, as for what happens to the old Thor, he'll still be around carrying Yarnbjorn, the the, the celestial axe. killing axe. Yep. Um, he is unworthy for whatever reason uh, that has not yet been revealed. I still think it's because he blew up the earth, but you know. It's not going to be for something that happened in Uncanny Avengers. I don't know. I mean, you don't, I you don't know that. Anyway, uh, so he'll still be around as a supporting character. And according to the preview Marvel released of... Thor 25, which comes out next week. Right. King Thor from Far in the Future. Oh, right. Does not have nice things to say about the woman that replaced him. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, like, like maybe he's super pissed about it. Well, I can see that. Thor's yeah. a pretty egotistical guy, you know. And so, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not Thor just becoming a woman in, in a magical way. It's somebody else be gaining the power of Thor. Now, keep in mind, old Thor... Still a badass, still as guardian, still very strong, still has a mystical weapon, just not the god of thunder anymore. Yeah, right. And so that kind of like takes I don't us, know if that's going to mess with his power set or not. Well, he won't be able to do weather stuff. I guess. That's Mjolnir. That's all Mjolnir. Yeah, but he's still super strong. Well, yeah, he's as guardian strong. Can he fly? Ew. I don't know if he could fly. Well, I feel like the hammer made him fly. Thor couldn't fly anyway. He like flung the hammer and it towed well, him. Okay, fine. Right? Can he still get towed around the air? <laughs> I guess spin yarn born around like a helicopter. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. 
But so that kind of takes us back to the first part of his question. What what was the deal with Donald Blake? Uh, did Thor was Thor actually possessing a human being or was Thor just pretending to be a human being? The answer is kind of both. Uh, at first in the 60s, Donald Blake was a guy. He was a guy that was trapped in a cave in. He found the cane, smacked it on the wall. It turned it into Mjolnir. He became Thor. Right. And so he was, it was, he obviously went through a, a physical transformation uh, where Thor was summoned from whatever limbo he had been in and w- he walked to the earth while Donald Blake. And wasn't the whole thing like many years later, Odin wanted to teach Thor yeah, humility. Thor so was banished. Showed him what it felt like to be a real dude. Sure. Yes, and but what was revealed years later was that Donald Blake was not real. Donald Blake was Thor in human form, and he and then he channeled his power when he smashed his cane. So what was at first sort of like a possession, like a Rick Jones Captain Marvel kind of thing in the right. in the seventies, right, right, where they shared a body. Uh, this was really more like Odin created the persona of Donald Blake and made Thor forget who he was until he was worthy enough to find the hammer again. Okay, okay. So Donald Blake was not really a real person. But like later on, when other guys had the hammer of Thor, when uh, the guy in the 90s became Thor, Eric Masterson, he was still himself. Thor, Thor was gone. He was dead or kidnapped or whatever. And so while he channeled the power of Thor into his body and became, you know, muscular and Asgardian looking... He was still himself. Right. And at first he had to pretend to be the real Thor because people didn't know. And so he had to walk around and act like he oh, was like, I remember this. Uh, forsooth, uh, yeah. <laughs> my avenging allies, uh, <laughs> it is I, your friend Thor. Uh, something, something mead? I don't know. And <laughs> so I kind of liked that. Uh, and then when Dan Jurgens brought him back in Heroes Reborn, a guy named Jake Olson got the power of Thor and Jake Olson was a real person that changed that like shared physical space with Thor or whatever you want to call it. So it's been kind of confusing, but to sum up your question, Donald Blake was revealed to not be a real identity. So Donald Blake construct now effectively gone. We haven't seen him for quite some time. Yeah, no, he's been gone. Like the last time I think we did see him was JMS's run briefly. Yeah, right. And as usual, JMS is just like, well, you know what? I'm bringing it back. Screw you. Yeah, you um, know what? I'm sending it away. <laughs> I don't remember exactly how JMS approached it. I kind of feel like... He was running around Broxton. I feel like maybe Donald Donald Blake, like the, the, I, the concept of Donald Blake or whatever, kind of developed a life of his own. It was something to that effect. Because at that point, Thor was gone, right? Because right. Ragnarok had happened and right. Thor was in like weird... Asgard heaven and or whatever. Donald Blake like woke up in a hospital and knew he had to get back to Broxton, Oklahoma and pick up the hammer and yeah. pick up the hammer, but wasn't sure like why or he just knew he had to do it. Right. Okay. So to sum it up, Donald Blake, a real person, but not a real person. Got yeah. It? Clear as mud. <laughs> <laughs> Got that, Kevin? <laughs> in typical comic book fashion, uh, whatever you think is, is correct and accurate will be contradicted and then uncontradicted it's really over up, time. It's really up to the writer at the time. Yeah. But as we understand it now, Donald Blake is not around, was a construct from Odin to teach Thor humility. That's about it. Yeah, I think that's probably the easiest way to think about it. Bingo, bango, bongo. Bongo, 
No, I think he nailed it. Bingo, bango. Bingo, bango, bongo. Bingo, bango, bongo. That was confusing. I know. Thank you for your question, though, Kevin. And if you guys or lady guys have a comic book related question or a trivia challenge, which we have not had for years, literally years, hit us with a trivia challenge. They just don't trust me not to look. For Jumpin' Joe Patrick. I promise you, he will not look. I will not clue him in on it. We will may have to edit things for time while he, you know, scrambles his head looking for an answer or whatever. It'll make me sound really impressive. But it would be awesome. Hit us with a trivia challenge, guys. You can do so over the Ask a Nerd question on the THN forums. You can send us an email, subject, Ask a Nerd. You can call us, 402-819-4894, Ziggurat Hotline, and give us an audio question. That'd be even better. And we'll put you on the damn show. And that is it for episode 178 of THN. If you love gender swapping as much as we do, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes. I'm gender swapping right now. Or tune in where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts. Because guys, girls, it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our donors. You keep this show's pants ironed and pressed. And if you want to feel more confident and professional, you can donate by clicking our well-groomed PayPal button at tuitednerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a buck a month really does help. Give us a dollar. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this well-dressed list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read, defend your questionable nerd taste in front of the two-headed judge for our Defender segment, or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, painted on the side of a car. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Yeah. yeah. That could be weird. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, post pictures of yourself dressing up like a lady or a man, or just rap about this week's comics. That doesn't really fit the whole job interview theme you had going there for the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're back to gender swapping. Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more THN in your life now, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the return of Batman Forever by Ask a Nerd author Kevin Coffey. Wow, that guy's busy. <laughs> yeah, right. Saturday morning cartoons by the Credible Hulk about what is arguably the greatest superhero cartoon ever created. Justice League. Justice League. Unlimited. Unlimited. Yeah. Casey Bomb's blog all about fantasy football. And as always, the woman is obsessed. Ludicrous speed reviews from Aaron Myers. Ooh. We're going to get in serious trouble for these one day. I'll tell you what. I mean, he's going to be the death of us all. <laughs> Next week, the comic pushers are back, and MC DJ Patrick is going to lay down some fat rhymes while slinging comics. Our weekly shout out this week goes to Jock, if that is your real name, who donated some it's of not. his original art from the Batman Black Mirror storyline for an auction to help a little dude named Nathan pay for his leukemia treatments. What a guy! Word to you, Jock, and you, Nate. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off! Gender, 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 gender swap! <laughs> Bang! <laughs>